Hello, Duke fans, and welcome to episode 465 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. It is Sunday, December 4th, 2022. Duke is 1-0 in the ACC, so we are excited about that. I am your host for this episode. I am Sam Klein. I am joined as always, or as as often, let's say Donald's been out for a while, so I can't claim as always (laughs) by any means. But I am joined, as I often usually am, by Donald Wine and Jason Evans. Donald, sir, hello. How are you? Uh, I'm doing okay. The United States men's national team uh, ended its run in the World Cup, so I was pretty sad about that. But a lot to be happy about and proud about, uh, and also a lot to be excited about for the future. Um, We have another, the Women's World Cup next summer, but for the men, three and a half years before it is on our shores. Get ready, America. Yeah, a bummer, but also exciting things to look forward to. Jason Evans is also here, and we know that he has to run, I think, halfway through the episode. So, yeah. Jason, what what what's going on? Yeah, a very busy day for me. So, in addition to this, I am counting votes, opening ballots and counting ballots. I am, I'm a member, as a lot of you probably know, I'm a film critic. I'm a member of both the Southeastern Film Critics Association and the Atlanta Film Critics Circle, the Atlanta Film Critics are announcing our awards uh, tomorrow, Monday. And so someone has to tally up all the ballots. And that someone is me. It's me and a couple other guys who are good friends of mine. So I am busy spending all day, you know, counting whether or not Banshees of Inisharan or Everything Everywhere All at Once or Top Gun or Tar or The Fablemans or RRR is the best film of the year. Spoiler alert. Uh, everything, everywhere, everything, everywhere, all at once is going to win our our pick for the best movie of the year. Uh, were there any hanging chats? Because I hear no, those but, are bad. But in but in animated, it appears we have a tie. Does that uh, mean you we have, have to go a tie to a right now? We, do you have a no, 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 I, 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 I'm done counting the animated ballots. Like there, the, there's some other ballots I need to work on, but the animated ballots are done. And and there's a tie w- between Marcel the Shell with shoes on, and Pinocchio. Just don't be like Matthew Broderick in Election. And I think he, if you yes. see the movie, <laughs> yes. you know what I'm talking about. It. Yes, yes. I am excited to watch Pinocchio. It does it's look good. It's quite insane. good. Insane. Yeah. Super yes. cool. All right, Jason. We know we don't have you for very long, so we have to talk about the uh, Duke Boston College game. Before we get to that, by the way, we had a conversation on the last show about player of the week selections and when they happen. So I went back and did the research. So the the argument that Jason and I had was that I think the weekend's on Saturday. Jason thinks the weekend's on Sunday. So you're wrong. It ends on Sunday. First of all, the Western week ends on Saturday. You're what are you talking about? Donald, can you weigh in on this first before I tell you how this has gone for us in the past? Look, look, if there's a game on Sunday, which here's the thing. The games on Sunday, we haven't had a game on Sunday that hasn't been a you know an NCAA. You're spoiling. Game you're spoiling my research. Tell me. Tell me. Regardless of the of of when a game happens on Sunday, when does the week end, Donald? The Western week ends on Saturday, but my paycheck ends on Sunday. What What does that mean? The Western week that that's like how that's like how the the, the like when you the open calendar, calendar is structured. Sunday is at the beginning and Saturday is at the end. That's what the week ends on Saturday. So 
First why of is all, it called the weekend? Why is Sunday part of the weekend? It's the ends of the week, the, the front end and the back end. It's not weekends. It's weekend. End as in finality. <laughs> I don't care what if your you, calendar if says. You, yes, you're right. You're right. The calendar frequently starts on a Sunday. Anyway, let me tell you, let me yeah. tell you how we've handled this in the past. And yeah. Donald kind of spoiled my research, which is it turns out Duke doesn't play on Sunday very much ever since the ACC changed its calendar like five or six years ago. Right. The only basically the majority of the Sunday games that Duke has played, and there have only been a handful in the last five years, have been in the NCAA tournament. I I would like to think that we adjust our uh, whether whether we would do this on Sunday or not. We would adjust our methodology because each round of the tournament is a is a distinct week, sort of regardless of when it happened. Um, so I, I'm I'm removing those games for the purposes of what is our standard at, at DBR. The last time Duke was supposed to play on a Sunday that was not in the PK-85 was in the fall of 2020. It was a game against Elon that was canceled uh, because of COVID. So uh, we did pick a player of the week on the day that we recorded that episode, but it was an episode like post some, it was like, we knew that there was a cancellation. We recorded that day. We picked player of the week from prior to that. You have to go all the way back to the fall of 2018 for the last time that Duke played on a Sunday and we did pick a player of the week after the Sunday game. This Damn is the straight, last we did. time this yes. is the last time that it happened and notably that week I, I Jason I'll give you credit for this. Notably that week was the week that Duke played Kentucky in the Champions Classic in in what I would describe as the Zion Williamson game. Uh Duke then played Army on that Sunday on Veterans Day and we picked a player of the week after that game so we let the army game happened. Uh, so yes, I do believe we picked player of the week after the Sunday games. Uh, and then prior to that, the only other time that I bothered uh, noticing for Sunday scheduled games was the PK 80 tournament was, was the previous time before that. So right. Duke doesn't play on Sunday very much. I'll just say this. Usually when we find a game on Saturday or Sunday. We usually record after that game anyway. And that's when we do player of the week. But if you have a strong opinion about when the week ends, DBR podcast at gmail.com. Probably don't send. I don't want. Wait, that. I, I, I don't, don't want, want these emails. <laughs> I, I don't. I, I don't want emails from people opining about whether Saturday or Sunday is the end of the week because I know the answer, and this is silly. <laughs> well, well, it depends. If you ask your rabbi when the weekends. Yeah, okay. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Wow. All right. Should we talk about the Boston <laughs> College game? Yes, Duke yeah. Duke maybe. Duke opened its its ACC schedule this week uh, against Boston College. It was. Should we say it was a, a a casual victory for Duke? 75 to 59. We thought that this would be uh, not super competitive for Duke, although I don't think we anticipated like a, a huge blowout. So a 16-point victory for the Blue Devils. They were winning well, by like... Yeah, so Sam, you and I both said Duke was... Uh, Ken Pomeroy had picked Duke by 15, and we both said, we'll be disappointed if it's only 15. We expected it to be more than that. And it was 16. Yeah, but but to be clear, it was it was like, you know, it was non-competitive the entire second half. There was never a moment in the second half where like, did it get below 10 in the second? I don't think it did. I don't believe so. Yeah. No. And and frankly, Duke was up by like 22 with two or three minutes to go before, you know, mop up time. It, it, it was abundantly clear. I, I think when, when we made our comment about the 15 points, the notion was. This should not be a competitive game. This should not be a game where you are ever worried about whether or not Duke's going to win this game. 
And and I think that's that that was the kind of game it was. You would never got it down to a ten point Duke lead with about ooh thirteen minutes left in the game, and then Duke went on an eleven zero run from there, and then the lead sort of uh, moved around between fifteen, sixteen, seventeen, eighteen the rest of the way. And like you said, Jason, yeah. it didn't feel competitive at that point. Even at halftime, it felt like Duke was in was in control of this game, which has not been the case in every Duke Boston college ACC opening game uh, in prior history. So let's, let's talk about that game. And then we're going to take a break and do the the preview of Duke's game upcoming this week. Jason, I'll let you go first since I, I want to make sure that you get all of your, your thoughts out. We can begin with the headlines. Yeah. So, uh, so it's worth noting that up until 10 minutes ago, I didn't know that I was going to, I'd said to you guys, I'm going to bag out on this podcast. I, I thought I was gonna be too busy. But I did prepare a headline. So my preparation, that's my way of saying my preparation is not what it usually is. (laughs) But my headline for this game is Duke gets lively on defense to stifle BC. I thought the story of this game was the effectiveness of the Duke defense, um, the way BC struggled to get shots. And and I really felt, especially in the first half, we, we we saw the Derek Lively that can be a terror protecting the basket. Jason, were you reading listener Zach Harris's headline? He he went for block party gets lively as Duke Downs BC. So oh, I, good. I, 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 it's very similar. I, read I don't know if that had infected you. I, I had 30 plus ballots in my inbox, so I'd read none of the headlines from the listeners today. Sorry. <laughs> Donald, what'd you have? So for me, I have Duke flies away from BC an easy ACC opening win. Yeah, I like that. Uh, I I stuck with the with the bird theme uh duke protects its home roost against the eagles so uh that that was that was great uh donald did you have any other listener ones that you wanted to to highlight yeah there was a few uh, you mentioned the zach harris one uh I, let's go with michael slaughter he sent a couple in uh, but this one he did i thought was pretty cool not in my house lively young duke team swats down the eagles in cameron Endor. and then finally tom wildermuth he had one that said flip clips the wings of BC. And I had to really pause when I said that because it turns into a tongue twister if you're not careful. Flip clips the wings. That is good. I like that. I like that one. All right. Let's do the good. Jason, again, I'm going to let you go first. So uh, give me the good from this, shall we say, pedestrian victory for Duke against Boston College? Yeah. So my, as I said in my headline, my good really starts with Derek Lively. He he was credited with three block shots. I think that was the number. That that is a lie. Um, he, he he tipped, altered, or otherwise affected at least a half dozen other shots. Um, at, at, mostly in the first half. Uh, as I said, he was an absolute terror around the basket. Uh, his ability to help and recover was fully on display. We have not seen all that Derek Lively can be. We have not seen the Derek Lively that people said was perhaps the best player in the class and and we're starting to get glimpses of it um i you know i don't know that he's all the way back but i sure feel like he's getting pretty close we also saw we've seen lately more and more of him on on offense and and admittedly his offense is duke tosses the ball near the rim and he grabs it and throws it down <laughs> but that's a high percentage shot <laughs> and i like I like the fact that Duke went to that a pretty good bit. I think when you put Lively in a screening role kind of situation, it takes a, a heck of a defensive effort to stop him. 
And and we saw, you know, we just saw again and again Duke go to that early in the game. Um, and to me, in a game where it was clear that Duke won, in a game where there wasn't a ton about the game that didn't go as expected, the most important thing was that we're starting to see more and more of Derek Lively as A, dangerous on offense, and B, danger to the other team on defense. I liked the energy that he provided. Right. Like and and that's what we were expecting from Derek Lively, you know, as he integrated into this team is that the energy level is going to ratchet up both on offense and in defense, because around the rim, he's bouncing all over the place. And like you said, Jason, I think I don't know how many shots they took. Let me let me see here. They took 55 shots. You said he altered, blocked or, or had a piece of a half dozen of them. I think it was more like 52. Like that's how it felt whenever he was on the court. <laughs> It felt like he was getting his hand into the face of somebody to try and take a sh- who was taking a shot. And I think that sort of energy is infectious because it helps feed our defense as well. Because I, I think, you know, once again, our defense, I thought was very, very good. And if, and if these guys, uh, or if the, uh, if the uh, d- uh, opposing team gets past our perimeter defense, then their reward is to meet a Derek Lively at the rim. And that's not a reward that I want if if I have the, the the honor of getting past the Duke defense. So that's where I think this team can feed off of each other is even if some guys get beat, Derek Lively is there to clean it up and at least get it where they affect the shots. And then the only thing I want to see him be able to do is put himself in a position where he can either block the shot or alter the shot, then get the rebound and go. There's a lot of times where you need to have a second guy kind of come in after him. Sort of what we saw, like we did, you know, with Zion Williamson or, or other guys that we've seen in the past go out for shots. You needed somebody to come behind him for the rebound. If Derek Lively sometimes can block those things kind of in the air to himself, or at least put it in a position where he can still get the rebound, he's going to go and he's going to get a lot of assists off of these things too. Yeah, he only had two rebounds in this game, and and that's we've seen we've seen some of that that. Lively is a great shot blocker. He is not a great rebounder yet. And I agree with you, Donald. That's something that I'd love to see him work on and develop even more. On the topic of guys who are still somewhat integrating with the team, I thought that Tariq Whitehead had one of his better games this season. You know, he's he's still not the star for Duke, but it feels like between the Ohio State game a few days ago and then this BC game, it feels like he's getting more comfortable playing with his teammates and and even while he's still playing a role off the bench, uh, I'm, I'm enjoying sort of the progress. So Lively, I think, is ahead of him. I think we we have been aware the whole time that uh, Lively's injuries, I don't think were as serious as as Whitehead's, but uh, good to see that he's that he's still coming along and that he's he's uh, ex- you know, he, he was the recipient of a of a few good passes. He He's making shots now. So that's also a, a pretty productive thing for Duke. Uh, so really quick on Whitehead in the post game, John Shire mentioned that Derek Whitehead has only had three like full practices with the Duke team, just in terms of travel and game days. And these guys need time off to do this and that and the other. He's only had three practices with the team. It, it is easy, I think, for all of us to sort of look at, oh, he's been playing for a couple weeks now and not really think about the fact that there just hasn't been, you know, the team traveling around and, and all the other stuff they're involved in. He, he just has not had a lot of practices. And and Shire essentially said, you know, you're starting to get glimpses. You're not going to see the real Derek Whitehead until around Christmas time, and, which is what we, you know, in the past couple podcasts, we started talking about that. I, I, I really I 
the fact that this team's as good as it is right now, and I, I just it's going to get a lot better because we're going to see a Drake Whitehead who's going to make your eyes pop out every now and then. Yeah, you're going to get the practice time that he's going to get through this reading period and through the holidays where they do have more, while they may have guys out for different reasons, whether it be travel for you know going home or for exams, they will have practice time and they will have a chance to kind of, again, develop as a unit. I think the one thing that I really enjoy about Dariq Whitehead right now, this version of Dariq Whitehead, is the fact that he has embraced the role that he has right now and is not moping about or really you know, trying to force the issue of trying to get better on the floor. He's getting better game by game. He's not trying to take over. And when you're the you know guy that everyone assumes is going to be the alpha on a on a team full of great players, you expect that guy to eventually step up and take over. But he's being calm. He's taking what the game is given to him. And even if he's having quote a bad night, he's not letting it affect them. He's just going to get better over and over. And I think that's why I'm so excited to see the next version of Derek Whitehead after the holidays. Guys, have the Kyle Filipowski double doubles become like a ho hum affair for Duke? It, it he he puts up thirteen and ten, and it's just sort of a you know normal effort. It feels like at this point for for Filipowski, he's averaging fifteen and two on the season, and would not be surprised if he garners his fourth straight uh, and still undefeated recipient of the ACC Rookie of the Week honors, but. Can we talk for a second about how Filipowski just continues to to astound at, at both ends of the court? He made he made an extremely cool steal that was just like Filipowski appears out of nowhere, takes the ball and is like, nope, this one's mine. And uh, I think he had a nice behind the back as well uh, to dribble and pop in this game. Look, I, I will say this. Having been removed from watching games regularly since I was abroad for a week and a half, coming back, this week and seeing him play against Ohio State and against Boston College, it, he's the focal point of the offense in many respects. And that's not something that we anybody predicted at the beginning of the season, that he would be the focal point of the offense. Now, obviously, as this team evolves, it's going to change. And again, if Derek Whitehead emerges, if Derek Lively continues to improve, there may be multiple options on offense. But right now, him being the focal point and him excelling in that is something that I didn't, you know, I know I picked him in a couple of categories in the stats game, but I didn't expect this. And I think it's great that he's been so productive lately. It's great that he's kind of stepped up in in that role of being the guy to go to when we have so many guys that have been out or coming back from injury or just otherwise, you know, not not adapting quickly to the college game. His college game has been something where it's kind of been a very, 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 very surprise um, that he's come along so great so fast. You know, you talk about how how he's the focal point of the offense. His usage rate yesterday was was above 30%. And for folks who don't understand usage rate, percentage of possessions, that's how often does the possession sort of end with you either making a turnover, taking a shot, scoring a basket, whatever it may be, but that the, the, the possession belongs to you to some extent. And that's a 30% is a big number. There are five guys on the floor, and ostensibly, if you divide them all up, they're each at 20% because, you know, your possession has to end with one of them. For Filipowski to to be at 30% yesterday shows how much Duke was going to him. On the season, he's at better than 27.5% usage rate. That's It's just a really, really big number. And it's it's abundantly clear that this is the guy that Duke is Duke is saying, hey, we're putting the ball in your hands. 
and and you're responsible. Speaking of that, though, I actually thought Tyrese Proctor had a great game running the team and running the offense. He had a couple really, really nice assists. Um, I am getting more and more of a sense that Tyrese Proctor is the point guard and that Jeremy Roach is playing. They're, they're sharing it. You know, they both do it. But but especially early in games, it feels to me like Proctor's the guy who's running the show initially. And then later in games, especially if it's tight, we're, we're letting Roach do that. And I think that is just an ideal mix of what those two guys need. There's an element there of like real star point guard, like point guards who, who embrace being the point guard are good at, I'm speaking about Roach here, are good at letting other guys get theirs throughout the game before they sort of take care of their own stats down the stretch and that they have the the metal and the moxie, whatever old timey words you want to use to describe the the whatever's inside of, of a guy like Jeremy Roach. I think him looking at Tyrese Proctor and saying, yeah, let him let him cook for a little bit. Let him get more comfortable because Roach knows he can't carry this whole team himself. He can't be he can't be the only like great guard on this team at either end of the court. So allowing Proctor the the space to develop here, I think, is really crucial for this team. Also, I think, you know, we've talked about having multiple players being able to bring the ball up at times because it may not always be Proctor bringing the ball up, even if he's the guy that's going to be jump starting the offense. Uh, shout out Jalen Blakes. He had five assists yesterday. I think when he was in the game, he also was distributing the basketball. I, the idea should probably be that, you know, Derek Whitehead will be able to bring the ball up uh, as well. Uh, so I think those guys, and, and it helps with moving the ball around. We had what 19 assists on 28 made baskets. So a lot of guys are getting involved. A lot of guys are moving the ball around. A lot of guys can a, bring the ball. That's up. a huge, no, that's a great number. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. You could take that. And, and, you, and because of that, that means that, you have a situation where if you're facing Duke, you have five guys, four or five guys that at any time on the floor can do something and be productive with the basketball, whether it's driving to the rim or passing the ball around to an open guy. As long as we're making shots, that's going to make it so difficult to defend. And I think that's where Duke, as they continue improving, if they can get the shots up, oh man, like this is going to be a great offense to watch. I'm glad you mentioned the assist number because I, I thought it really was indicative of how well the team shared the ball. And, and you know, we had, you know, this has happened several times this year, but this is yet another game where we had like five, six guys who had multiple assists in this contest. There's so many guys who have, who have embraced that role of, if I don't have this shot myself, I bet I can find a teammate who's in a really good spot. Hey, there's one other thing I wanted to mention, the good gentleman. And, and you know, I'm probably not going to be around to do it at the end of the show. So player of the week for me is Jacob Grandison. I thought in this game and in the previous game, both times, he comes in, he's incredibly steady. He hits important three-pointers early in the contest when we need him to. He plays rock-solid defense. Folks, if you want to get a lesson on how to play good defense, watch Jacob Grandison the way he helps and recovers the way he switches and then recognizes I need to switch back. I mean, I, I, there were there were moments in this game, especially in the second half, we talked about it wasn't that much of a contest. It wasn't that exciting a game. I was just watching Jacob Grandison, and I was like, you can tell this guy's been in college for a long time and understands how the game is played. He makes everyone around him better. I, I, I just, I, I love everything that he's bringing to the floor. His, his three-point percentage is going up. You know, he's hitting his threes. There's nothing not to like to me about the way Jacob Grandison is playing. 
And I, look, I, you know, I know he's not he's not the MVP of the game, but he's darn close to it for little things, and little things matter. Two assists shy of the ten five five game uh, yesterday as well. So uh, that means he was doing everything. He was very active on both sides of the floor. And before we move to the bad, uh, Mark Mitchell hit six of his seven shots yesterday. Uh, I'm not sure how many of those, how, how much of that offense was like in the sort of early quote unquote crunch yeah, time. Let me, uh, let me push back. I, I would almost, this is going to sound funky. I would almost put Mark Mitchell in the bat. And here's why he leads the team in points. All of it. I mean, like all of it came when the game was essentially over in the first half, when Duke was building the lead that mattered, I, Mark Mitchell was once again, largely absent. And I, I, I am telling you, when Whitehead is better, Mitchell is absolutely the guy. There, there's no question in my mind that Mark Mitchell is the guy who's going to move into a smaller role as we elevate uh, Drake Whitehead's role. I, I, I love his athleticism. I love that he's a Swiss Army knife and can do a lot of different things. It just feels to me like Mark Mitchell is not doing it when we need it, like against lesser opponents or when the game is out of hand. That's when Mark Mitchell shines. I want Mark Mitchell to start shining when Duke needs him early in the games and against better opponents. So with that, let's move to the bad. And I want to start with a element that Duke has been mostly good at this season, maybe save for the Purdue game. And that's on the rebounding margin. So we've talked a lot about how Duke in particular on, on the offensive glass has been really dominant this year. Only seven offensive rebounds to 19 defensive rebounds for Boston College yesterday. I mean, again, we know that this game was not competitive most of the way uh, and that, that Duke had the lead. But you would think, especially in a game where Derek Lively is more present, Jason, you mentioned that he's not the biggest rebounding force yet for Duke. And, and maybe that's going to change. Maybe he he's still sort of getting used to the to the gameplay and the and the rotations, particularly on offense and how that works for him. But not a great showing for Duke on the glass. Boston College, not the smallest team, but also not the most dominant rebounding team either. So maybe something to to keep an eye on, especially as Duke is going to start playing better and better teams uh, in the coming weeks, especially as they move to ACC play. The, to me, the rebounding margin didn't bother me that much. It didn't. It didn't feel like the kind of game where there was a lot of tension in the game, and that there wasn't. Not to say the guys weren't trying, but it, it was a the, sleepy affair. Yeah, it wasn't the kind of game where they were like, we got to fight for every damn rebound. Um, I, and I don't know. I, maybe the thing was, we, we, maybe uh, this some, is one, Jason, where after the game in the Coach K era, Coach K would have lit into them for not hustling enough on the boards. And he would like tack those numbers up on the wall and be like, you guys stink. Uh, and I, I don't know <laughs> yeah. if, if that's uh, I don't know if that's in John Shire's playbook, but it, it feels like one of those affairs where, yeah, it was a sleepy Saturday afternoon. Uh, I don't know if they had been watching the USA soccer game in the morning, but maybe that bummed them out and they just weren't feeling it. But uh, it, it was a sleepy affair. Let's let let's admit that. Right. I think the I, I think the number on the rebounding end that's concerning was the offensive rebounds for BC. They had 14 of them. And I think doesn't matter who you're playing. You don't want to give up 14 hour offensive rebounds. And I think that's obviously something that we have been very good at is the, I mean, we got 25 defensive rebounds. Sure. But we want to have that number well under 10 
uh, and ours, you know, over our, on our side on offense, we want to have 10 offensive rebounds a game. But at the same time for me, I kind of don't because that means we're missing shots and I want to make, I want to make shots before getting offensive rebounds. But yeah, that's the number that was concerning for me. BC failed to hit 40% of their shots from the field and they only shot 23% from three. So some of that is just, there were a lot of opportunities there were a lot of shots, there for yeah. Boston College to get offensive rebounds. So uh, yeah. Well, yeah. Uh, the other thing about BC was to me, one of the stories of the game, and we haven't really talked about it that much yet was uh, it felt like the shot clock was about to run out on them on <laughs> like half every their possession. possession. Yeah. Like Duke was putting pressure on them on defense and BC was like, uh Oh, we got to throw up some crazy stuff and props to BC. They hit a tremendous CJ Pena. Where did this guy come from? This dude was hitting shots. He has no business, like three pointers, uh, like, you know, one handed hook shots, underhanded in the lane, and just crazy stuff. I'm sure there's no way he hits that stuff on a regular basis. I, I, I would say there were at least five shots that BC hit that you're like, that was just, you pulled that out of your ass. <laughs> you did not deserve to make that basket. And, you know, we're talking about it here in the bad, but uh, because BC hit those shots, but it's really a good thing because Duke forced them into taking some terrible shots. They just managed to put them down. Donald, what else do you have in the bad from this game? So for me, I think the only thing that I would say was a negative was, yes, they took a lot of shots. They missed a lot of shots. I feel like on defense, we're very good at stealing the ball and getting uh, and getting out on the break. And I think we did it at times, but we didn't really do too many. BC only had nine turnovers and that turnover margin, at least on the, uh, the defensive side has been much higher for teams so far this year. Again, that could be just because like you said, Jason, they were taking some wild shots and, and not really doing anything, but that's something that I think that they, you know, that I would want to have up, especially for us. We only had four steals. We're usually like, I mean, we've been getting seven, eight, sometimes even 10 steals in a game. And I want to see that, that, and that can be attributed again to the fact that it was more of a sleepy affair. Not there wasn't a lot of opportunities to just kind of go for broke, uh, for in a sense, and go for steals and stuff like that. But uh, that's something that I think the energy level can always be high, and if it is high, that number is going to be much higher. There are two easy baskets that you can get in a basketball game. One is. The, the quick putback rebound, you know, you get an offensive rebound and you immediately uh, put the basket, the, put the ball back in the basket. The other is you get a steal, like you're talking about, Donald, and and you race the other direction and you get an easy fast break. In this game, Duke had four points on second chance points. We had four points on fast breaks. Both of those numbers you would expect from a Duke team, from this Duke team especially, should have been way higher against a team like BC. Look, if you think about the but fact they that did we got do- seven... They did have 14 points off of turnovers. So, yes, even though they only only caused nine turnovers, right. they did score off of them. Right, but they only had four fast breaks. The fact that Duke scored 75 points, only getting two second-chance baskets and only two fast-break points, or two fast-break buckets, four points, it, it's kind of re- amazing. It's it's sort of remarkable that, that Duke came close to 80 you know, with numbers like that. So with that, we're going to wrap the BC game. We're also going to say goodbye to Jason. So Jason, if you have... Hey, 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 hey. Dude, play the oh. game. Play the game. Oh, we need to do the play of the game. Excuse me. I'm still getting used to our, our new flow here. So Jason, why don't you tell us your play of the game? So with about four minutes left in the first half, 
Uh, a BC player looked like he had an open lane to the basket, but Ryan Young stepped in, deflected the shot, grabbed the rebound as he was falling out of bounds, and threw it to Jalen Blakes. The ball never touches the ground. Jalen Blakes immediately fires it up the court to Tyrese Proctor, who made a really nifty layup. It was great defense to instant offense in the blink of an eye. I talked about Duke only had four fast break points. Those were two of them. <laughs> Love it. Donald. So for me, it was, uh, I believe, in the second half where Grandison had the ball. He did the backdoor pass to uh, Mark Mitchell, and Mark Mitchell did the dunk, and some dude tried to j- jump with him. It wasn't quite a, like, you know, call the doctor somebody needs to be operated on type of dunk, but the dude jumped with him, so I'm going to call it a facial. Um, so, yes, uh, that dunk right there, that that play, that whole play. I think it was uh, number one or number two on the top plays that Duke likes to put out. So, yeah, that was a great one. Yeah, there were there were a few good uh a few good dunks yesterday. I liked I liked uh, Lively's uh you know throwing it down from behind. Yeah, the reverse the, one, yeah. The uh I, I believe that the Duke men's basketball Twitter referred to it as the Mason Plumley play. Uh, because I think he had he had one of those <laughs> against Carolina that was pretty notable. I liked Kyle Filipowski's steal. I already mentioned it. Um just love him him being uh being aggressive on the defensive end and and just having all the like appropriate awareness. Uh, to make plays like that. I can't believe none of us, we had several viewers, several listeners, sorry, uh, who wrote to us about this. I can't believe none of us mentioned the play where Jeremy Roach faked uh, Langford, not not Ashton Langford, the other, the other Langford, totally destroyed the guy on a fake pass, and then Roach had a sidestep easy three-pointer. It, that was, he faked that. I did like that. That was, that, that that was, was nice. Third. <laughs> I thought one of you would pick that. That's why I picked something different. Well, you 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 can't play game theory with the uh, with the plays of the game. All right, that I think will do it for BC. Jason, give me one sort of parting statement. I, I think we used to do parting shots on this show. Give me a give me a parting statement uh, before you go. I got nothing for you, man. Hey, actually, you know what my parting shot is? Today, December fourth, is my wife's birthday. Hey, she hey. is a wonderful, wonderful lady. So happy birthday, Kathy. Uh, can I tell you a, another anniversary that's coming up? The sure. first episode of this podcast debuted on December 6th, uh, 2014. So uh, I always remember, it, it, it's always at the beginning of the season, but uh, we're about to have our eighth anniversary on the uh, the day of the Iowa game. So uh, happy birthday to uh, Jason's wife and uh, happy birthday to this show. I love Boom. it. Okay, Jason, you're out. Donald and I are going to take a break when we come back. Duke plays Iowa this week in Madison Square Garden under the lights. It's going to be awesome. We also have to talk about Duke's bowl game selection. Duke is playing, it it appears, in the military bowl uh, in Annapolis in December. So we got that to talk about. Stick around. All right, Jason's gone. That means that the kids can play now. That's it. It's just me and Donald. Uh, this might go a lot faster than the first segment. We'll see. So <laughs> Duke plays Duke plays Iowa this week in basketball. It's Tuesday night at Madison Square Garden. It's Duke's last uh, non-conference neutral site opponent of the year, and it should be a good one. Duke has had some some pretty fun neutral site games this fall. Iowa um, features a, a, a few guys who are who are particularly interesting. But, Donald, let's start this discussion about the Iowa Hawkeyes with a review of where they have been so far this season. 
Yeah, so uh, this should be a pretty evenly matched game, according to Ken Palm. They are ranked, uh, the Hawkeyes are ranked 22nd, and Ken Palm Duke is ranked 18th. They are 6-1 and one on the season. They have beat Bethune-Cookman, NCANT, Seton Hall, Nebraska-Omaha, Clemson, and, and they just recently beat Georgia Tech in the ACC Big Ten Challenge. Their only loss uh, is the best team they faced so far, and that was to TCU uh, last week. So uh, the thing about Iowa is that they move the ball around quite a bit, and they try to prevent their opponents from doing the same. They're very efficient on offense. I think they're the second, or I want to say they're second in, in the adjusted offensive efficiency, and they don't take too long to take shots. So, you know, Boston College last weekend or, or yesterday, we're talking about them, you know, almost running out the shot clock on several occasions trying to take a shot. That's not how Iowa operates. They usually try to get a shot off like midway through uh, the 30 seconds. They're they're very quick at trying. Their tempo isn't super quick, but they want to get quick shots. And I think that can play into Duke's advantage, especially if they're going to be playing uh, with that defense that we know that they do so well. And it's interesting. You mentioned the tempo. They're really fast on offense and they're really slow on defense. So mm-hmm. it's not like Iowa has one speed that they're playing at. They're really modulating at different ends of the floor. It should be an interesting contrast with Duke, who has mostly played slow this year. Duke is Duke is averaging one of its slowest tempos in years. I don't know if this is a John Shire thing or if this is a this is Duke's personnel this year. But uh, I, as you mentioned, Iowa has has a great offense. They are going to try to speed you up, and uh, they're they're really efficient. They're they're a good shooting team. They don't turn the ball over, and they also going back to a topic that we mentioned was sort of questionable from the BC game um, are a pretty good offensive rebounding team. So that's going to be an interesting battle to, to watch. Um, maybe Donald, if you have any players from Iowa that you wanted to highlight, it feels like we have to start by talking about Chris Murray. Yeah, he's really good. Um, and he could be very good for them. Uh, really quickly. He's good. Though, he's, Chris Murray, Chris Murray, good player. Good player. Good player. Um, I, I will say quickly about Iowa. I think the one thing that Duke has to think about, you mentioned the offensive of rebounding and that battle, but also Iowa is a team that does not, you know, they thrive on teams being stagnant, right? They thrive on teams not moving the ball around and really just having one guy try to go to the rib or try to take a shot and and, and try to create something. So Duke has to continue to move the ball very well. Um, they've done that so far this season keep the Iowa defense on their heels because uh, honestly, Iowa, their defense doesn't rotate as much. I think that's how really TCU got them is that they move the ball around quite well and they're able to get open looks, whether they be inside or outside. So uh, when Duke is on offense, you know, go for the, you know, go for the pass, you know, the extra pass, pass into the best shot in their possession. And then again, that rebounding, getting rebounds and getting them and limiting them to one possession is going to be an absolute key here. But I, I know you want to talk about Murray. I'm going to get back to you on Murray. Yeah, Chris Murray, as of today, is uh, number 10 on Ken Pomeroy's Player of the Year rankings. He's a 6'8 junior, has been with the Hawkeyes the whole time, and this guy is a machine. He averages 21 points and 10 rebounds a game. So, you know, I mean, look, Duke has gotten their chance to to play a few of these uh, very top big guys in the country this year, not just Murray. Obviously, Duke had to face off against Zach Eady, uh, Zed Key again with uh, with Ohio State. Uh, Murray is not as quite as big as those guys. He's only 6'8", but extremely dynamic, great rebounder at both ends of the floor and is going to be a load for Duke to 
to manage at, at either end. He's also one of the most efficient scorers in college basketball, can shoot the three and um, is is pretty efficient from the field as well as from the charity stripe. So I'm I'm curious to see sort of what Duke does with him in terms of size. It's not like Duke can just put Derek Lively on a guy like that because he's going to be all over the floor. I do wonder how much Lively is going to sort of get a shot at at Chris Murray, but you'll see different guys on him. We were talking earlier about how Mark Mitchell has has tended to disappear in, in some of these games. Maybe this is an opportunity for Mark Mitchell to really hone in on defense because Murray is sort of the same size as Mitchell. And so th- this could be an opportunity for him, could be an opportunity for Kyle Filipowski. Heck, it could be an opportunity for Derek Whitehead. So Murray is the is the main guy for them. Another sort of interesting note about about the Hawkeyes. I know we've given Jim Beheim uh, a bunch of grief in the last few years because he's featured his sons very prominently on the team. Fran McCaffrey has two sons on this team who play significant minutes. One of them is one of the best players on the team, Patrick. But uh, he's also got he's also got Connor McCaffrey, uh, two guys who are who are both playing a lot. Uh, they're you know uh, both getting significant minutes for uh for their dad's team um major contributors especially patrick and uh the other the other sort of main guy for um for iowa here is their point guard tony perkins who's a junior you'll notice when you're watching this game i think we'll say this about a lot of teams this year but they're older than duke most of their players most of their key players juniors um sophomores you know one one senior that that plays a lot of minutes um philip rebracca for for Iowa where Duke is obviously playing a lot of freshmen and a lot of these guys have also been at Iowa playing for Fran McCaffrey for a while. So a lot of cohesiveness on this team. And, uh, you know, as you mentioned, Donald Ken Palm says, this is close to a coin flip. I think Duke's favored by like two or three points. One point. Another, another, yeah, exactly. Another good test, I think for Duke. And by the way, this is Duke's favorite, one of Duke's favorite games to play during the year because it's the annual uh, New York City trip. The this year they're playing at at Madison Square Garden. So uh, if folks are going to those games, I don't know, Donald. I don't think you're going. I'm I'm not planning to be there this week. Unfortunately, uh, I've I've gone to this game in the past. But if you're going, let us know. Uh, I'm sure there will be there will be a lot of DBR listeners and 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 DBR readers who are going to be in attendance for this one. It's always a bit of a family reunion when Duke gets to play in New York. And you know this is. I'm glad this is kind of continuing. It's, it's it's the lights. It's the Mecca, right? Like that's, this is the game that, you know, even these guys, these players are going to be amped for. And hopefully that uh, ups the energy quotient uh, on this team, because I think the athleticism, you mentioned Chris Murray, a lot of times when Chris Murray doesn't do well, is because they have guys that are athletic in his face. And I think we have the guys, I think, you know, you mentioned Mark Mitchell, that will be an interesting matchup if he is paired with, Chris Murray, but I think throwing a lot of guys at him is going to wear him down. And the one loss they do have against TCU is because Chris Murray wasn't able to be effective on the offensive end. He only had 11 points in that game when, like you said, normally he averages 21 and the team lost by 13. So this, uh, I, I think having an athletic guy in his face is going to hopefully slow him down, but that also puts the pressure on the rest of the Hawkeyes to deliver. And that's where I think our defense will be able to come through. So we look forward to that one. Of course, we will recap it after it's over. Donald, very quickly before we wrap with our player of the week, Duke is reportedly playing in the military bowl against UCF on uh, December 28th. Quick reaction to uh, Duke getting to play in the mid-Atlantic. 
I haven't asked you yet if you're going to be going. So uh, hopefully I'll see you there, right? Yes, uh, it is official now. Uh, Duke will be playing in the military bowl, like you said, playing UCF um, December 28th at Navy uh, Memorial Stadium, which uh, is if you have not been to that stadium, it's very, very nice. It's a really cool venue. uh, So I'm very excited about that. We were talking before the show, Sam, about the military bowl and just the past bowls that we've been to. I know a lot of people had predicted that we would end up in the Sun Bowl. Uh, but the military bowl has really wanted us for a long time. Why? Because there's like tens of thousands of us that like me, that are Duke alums that live in this, you know, DC Annapolis area that would love to go to a game. Also, you can draw from people from Philadelphia, from New York, from Boston and from North Carolina as well. So you're going to have a lot of Duke fans in Annapolis. Yes, Sam, I will be one of them. Uh, I have to figure out how to get tickets. I know me and my best friends and their family, they're all going. So uh, we just have to figure out how to get into the building and, and where we're going to sit. But it should be a really nice, nice affair uh, and also a pretty quality ball game. Uh, you know, if you've seen UCF play, they're pretty competitive. And we've seen our team play. And dare I mention, Sam, I know I don't know if we've mentioned this on the show. Shout out Mike Elko, ACC coach of the year. So. Uh, that's something to have always in your corner. Congratulations to him and also to the whole rest of the team. Uh, this is a really big accomplishment. Yeah, I, I I don't know if we had talked about it before, but but Mike Elko, ACC Coach of the Year in his first season in Durham, uh, he he shows up not bad and wins eight shows up and wins eight games at Duke. Uh, he's like without, he's like without this, changing the roster much. He's like, wait, y'all say this is difficult? Y'all say I was gonna have a tough task? <laughs> Hang on, what what do you mean you can't win at Duke? Looks like I did. Uh, you know, Duke's Duke's a few bounces from from making the ACC championship game. I know I mentioned that. I will say I was looking at the the final college football playoff rankings today. I see that NC State ended up like 22nd or 23rd in the in the final top 25. And I'm looking at NC State's resume and I'm looking at Duke's resume. And I ask you, dear listener, how different were Duke and NC State's seasons when you look at them in aggregate? They had four common opponents. They each went three and one against them. Uh, NC State managed to beat Carolina. Duke did not manage to beat Carolina. Uh, but but Duke had Duke had some outcomes against common opponents that were better. NC State lost to Boston College at home. Duke beat BC on the road in a game that Duke only won by seven, but it felt like Duke won by more. So uh, I, I ask you, college football playoff committee, uh, how come Duke isn't ranked in the in the final top twenty five? I don't know that the that the metrics say that Duke was one of the twenty five best college football teams this year, but they went eight and four. They came in second place in the Coastal Division, and uh, and they're headed to a I don't know if it's the best bowl game. They're they're not playing like in the in the sunshine in December, but they're playing in a bowl game in a real city and a and and against an opponent that has been pretty damn good at at football the last few years. So I will take it. I mean, look, it's all about expectations, right? No one expected us to be in this position uh, when this when the year started, and and that's how kind of preseason polls kind of work. And honestly, that's kind of how uh, these guys look at some of these teams. If they weren't supposed to be doing anything, and now they are, they still kind of go, "Oh, well, they can't be that good because it's Duke, or because they only played Northwestern, or whoever, whatever excuses they want to do." But setting up this game, this bowl game, and I know we'll talk about it closer to the game. But if they can beat UCF and be nine and four to end the season, that opens up a world of expectations for next season. And I think again with the recruiting class we have coming in, which is I believe top twenty in the in the country uh, that Mike Elko's already produced, 
and some of the guys that are sticking around, all these things are going to lead to some expectations where we go, hey, maybe we can be going for ACC titles. Maybe we can go for the Coastal Division, which I get, I'm sorry, not even the Coastal Division because those are being done away with next year. So maybe we can go for the, you know, the title game and then go for a bigger bowl game. This could be something that, again, just like under Cutcliffe, we can have these expectations and not be left at. And I think that's the key here is that Duke might be one of those teams that could be ranked or are close to being ranked by the start of the next season if they can finish off the season with a win. So we will look forward to that. And uh, hopefully, Donald, I'll, I'll get to see you at the at the military bowl. Let's finish up today with our player of the week selections. Now, I guess that it's Sunday and the week is over. Uh, Donald, we already heard from Jason. He's picking Jacob Grandison. Who do you have for this week? Duke went 2-0, and so that's pretty good. Both games at home. Uh, who do you have for player of the week? I'm going with Flip, Kyle Filipowski. 29 points, 20 boards in the week, and two victories. Like I said, he's been the focal point of the offense, something that we did not expect to see this early into the season. Uh, all the talk about him being... Uh, not as great on defense or not as great on offense or not as uh, mature uh, in, in other facets of the game have gone out the window. He's become, he's been our strongest player so far this year. Uh, keep it up, young man. Keep it up. I had all the same commentary about Filipowski. Can't believe how much we were down on him early in the season. It's going to be hilarious when we look back at that interview <laughs> we did with him earlier this year, or, or maybe it was end of last year, about a year ago, mm-hmm. when he had committed to Duke. And he said, yeah, I'm really looking forward to coming to Duke, sticking around multiple years. Sir, no way you're going to be staying at Duke for more than a year if you keep this kind of play up. He's playing well against good teams. He's He he, he makes back baskets just like easily. It, it, it feels like things have already slowed down for him, which is incredible for a guy of his size and his youth. So, uh, yeah, I'm also taking Filipowski, looking forward to the ACC, uh, giving him four for four on ACC Rookie of the Week selections tomorrow because those awards typically get announced on Mondays. With that, for Donald Wine, for Jason Evans, who hung up on us a few minutes ago but is still with us here in spirit, don't forget to write to us, dbrpodcast at gmail.com. We love the headlines. We love all the commentary. We we got... Now we're officially past the point where we can answer all of them, but we love having them come in. So uh, it's extremely fun to, to hear from all the listeners on that. I am Sam Klein. We'll be back after Duke uh, takes on Iowa later this week in Madison Square Garden. So for those two guys, I'm Sam. This has been Duke Basketball Report Podcast, episode 465. Duke Band, take us home. <laughs>